Our Lord, we thank you for um, the gift of work. We thank you that you work. And we pray that we would be faithful in our callings, in our vocation, in the different things you have for us every day. Help us to honour Christ in all things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, in the TV show Psych, uh, there's this, this running joke about the main character, Sean. Sean is always changing jobs. Uh, he's never committing to a job. People say he's never committing to a job. But the thing is, from Sean's point of view, he thinks that working for a week in a particular job makes him an expert. And so he needs to quit and move on to the next one. That's Sean. We all have a complicated relationship with work, I think. Whether you're in a job that you don't enjoy, or you're feeling like you've given all to this particular job, and maybe there's nothing else for you to do in it. Um, maybe you seem to be someone who moves along different um, jobs all the time. Now, for all of us, I think work's a big deal. The author, David Miller, defines work this way. Work is, maybe I'll repeat this twice, because it's, it's a good definition. A sustained exercise of strength and skill that overcomes obstacles to produce or accomplish something. A sustained exercise of strength or skill that overcomes obstacles to produce or accomplish something. You know, you see, in this definition, work is broader than employment. Uh, work isn't only work that you get paid for. So, for example, someone in a cafe makes a ham and cheese sandwich, right? Someone in a cafe makes a ham and cheese sandwich for a hungry customer. A parent at home makes a ham and cheese sandwich for a hungry child. One gets paid for it, the other doesn't. They both make a ham and cheese sandwich. They've both done the same thing. They've both accomplished something in, in terms of Miller's definition. They've accomplished a task, overcome an obstacle. They have to find the ham in the back of the fridge. They're both working, that's, both, that's work. We all work in one way or another. Um, kids work by playing. Uh, they build Duplo towers. Uh, we can work in the garden, as I did this week, pulling out weeds. We can work in a volunteer capacity in a, in a particular area. You can work with a boss. You can work as a boss. You can work in all sorts of ways. The late CEO um, of Apple, Steve Jobs, said this in a speech to Stanford University. In, in that speech he said, you've got to find what you love. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. This is the advice, right? In, you're told this in school, Steve Jobs tells you this, you've got to follow your passion. But is Steve Jobs' advice good advice? Is passion the only thing that matters in our work? Well, today we're exploring what the Bible says, the topic of work. Um, can we actually go about our day-to-day -day tasks, whatever they are, our day-to-day -day work, in a way that we can be satisfied in them? In them? Is there hope for work? There is hope for work. I want to show you this in the Bible. The good news is that Jesus worked and his work changes everything. So in him we can have a new approach, a new vision to our day-to-day -day work. So we're not, we're not sticking in one particular book of the Bible today. We're going to have a big overview of a lot of different passages. 
um, using a grid framework of creation for redemption. It's a good way to do theology, um, to look through these sorts of lenses at a topic. So um, it's always good to ask what the Bible says, and one of the things you do in um, studying a topic, you look at the beginning in creation. So that's where we're going to start. We need to start where the Bible starts. Genesis 1 verse 1. What does that verse say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God worked. Do you understand this? God worked. He created. He's the creator. He created this universe. God made a world. We're on it right now of beauty, of order. You know, it's able to be worked in. There are the rules to this, this world, this universe. We work as human beings because God worked. Adam and Eve, right back in the beginning of the Bible, were made by God in God's image. They were reflecting God in, um, in, their, in themselves. They were made to work in God's world as his image bearers. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It says in another verse, humanity is given dominion, rule over the creation. Human beings were made, to God, made by God to be priest kings. They were serving God in their day-to-day tasks. That's what they were made for in God's image. He gave us, as human beings, work and a pattern of work and rest. We work in all sorts of ways, don't we? Now, whether it's using the physical stuff, like um, a tree, take for instance a tree, you mill the tree, you make frames for a house. We work in our desire to fix broken things, things that don't work very well. We, we work to fix them or we solve problems, we improve something, we make something better. God made us to work and creation shows us it is good. It's good. My old theological college lecturer made this dad joke about this uh, when he talked about it. He said something like this, and I quote, when we understand that the Bible begins in Genesis 1 and not Genesis 3, it makes a world of difference. Creation is good. That's what the point um, he made. Creation is good. We're living in God's good world. And what we see around us, what we experience often as futile and hard and painful, was not meant to be like that. Creation starts in Genesis chapter 1. God made us to develop, create, improve things before sin entered into the world. So there is a goodness to work, to morally good work, morally good work, by the way. The world was made for us as human beings to work in. Work is so important, isn't it? We need to work to survive. Have a think about it. We need to work to eat. Where would we be without work? We're so dependent on work. You know, take, for example, a newborn baby. The baby doesn't come out into the world and say, I need to create a profile on LinkedIn or seek.com. I don't need to go there. No, the baby depends on its mother and father. They need everything done for them. They are absolutely dependent on their parents. 
And I think the, um, the myth, the lie that we tell ourselves that we're, is that as grown-ups we're independent. But that's not true. We are dependent on other people. We all need food. We need clothes and places to live. These things don't magically appear out of nowhere. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We need to work together to collaborate as human beings so that we can actually live. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for, what does he pray? To pray for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus says. I wonder if you've ever thought about exactly how God answers that prayer. How does God answer that prayer? Now, kids, any children here? Yes. What did you eat last night? Now, my kids weren't at home, so they, I don't know what they ate. Yeah? All right, doesn't matter. Take, for example, you, say, for example, you ate a capsicum. A delicious capsicum, and it was all sliced up for you. Maybe on a pizza. Don't know. But what did it take to that, get that capsicum in your house? You know, a farmer needs land, right, to grow a capsicum. So what do, how do you get land? You need contracts. You need money. You need lawyers. You need banks. You need someone to make machines to till the ground, to fertilise, to irrigate. You need people to drive trucks from the farm to wherever it's sorted. You need things like supermarkets. Not to mention the roads you drive on, the kitchen you prepare, the meal in. The point is, someone along that process, there have been hundreds of people who have worked to get you that capsicum. It's the result of human activity. John Calvin said many centuries ago that people were made to create and bring out the wonders of the created order through our work. We develop what God has made. Creation, work is good. That's the first point. God works. He created everything and we as his image bearers work in God's world. But there is a problem with work. The fall of humanity affects every part of God's good world. Sin affects our work. The way we work and the work that we do. Uh, there are, arises morally wrong sorts of work. Can you think of it? You know, Parents don't wish their children to grow up to be drug dealers, for instance. Morally wrong work. In Genesis 3, Adam rebelled against God and then God cursed the ground. Let me read from Genesis 3. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Sin enters the world, and the curse that God places on this world means thorns and thistles, um, both literally thorns and thistles in work, but also metaphorically they infest our day-to-day -day tasks. There is toil there is hardship, it's difficult. Although the world's good, it's fallen. So there's both a glory to our work and a misery to it. I'm sure you know that. Instead of finding our satisfaction in God through our work, what God made us for, humanity serves its own goals. 
Our work becomes a tool to gain for ourselves. We turn, we turn inward and become selfish in our work. You see this illustrated in the, in, the, in the biblical story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. I'll read that out. It says, As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So you see, this is work. This is humans working. But what do they do? They, they try and make a name for themselves. They, try and, they build a tower. They try to anyway, which reaches to the heavens. Work becomes about, about proving yourself. There's envy. There's rivalry. And in the final scene of the Tower of Babel story, God comes down, he sort of peers down at these tiny humans working down there on earth. And he confuses their language. He comes in judgment at Babel. Sin has consequences. When sinful human beings work together on something, it can be glorious, can't it? It can be great. There are lots of new playgrounds around near our house. They're great. Um, we can see beautiful buildings go up around us. Collaboration in, in, in projects can be glorious, but it can be far from that. I recently listened to a podcast which was saying that one of the biggest reasons a project fails is because team members fall out. They argue. They don't get along. Now, sadly, this is true in the office or in church projects or with children playing Lego. Sin affects our work. And so in a fallen world, work can seem very futile. Very futile. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe it's because I'm a oppressive sort of person, but no. In the book of Ecclesiastes, this wisdom book, Solomon, he reflects on what work is like. Let me read from chapter one of Ecclesiastes again. In the words of the teacher, son of David, king, on, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. And down in verse 9 it says, Get this, what has been will be done again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So Ecclesiastes is saying this basically. Monday morning, alarm clock goes off at whatever time on the phone. You get up, you make a coffee, get food, get dressed, you work for 10 hours, then you go to bed. Alarm clock goes off in the, on your phone, you get up, you make coffee, get food, get dressed, you work for 10 hours, you go to bed, and guess what? The sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun come, goes up. And guess what? It happens again. When we were young, we did this. We did this every day. We went to school every day. When you get older, the sun goes up, the sun goes down. You do the same routine. Now you've got debt and you work longer. Ecclesiastes, this wisdom book, reflects on what work is like under the sun. Sun up, sun down, futility. What's the point? 
It's meaningless. You know, you work hard in the job for 10 years, you look back and you see some success, you got paid, that's good, but you don't earn as much as you like, you haven't achieved as much as you hoped, you work hard, you've earned some money, you've even worked with great skill at your job. But then Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says, even then, even if you've done this, you need to leave your work to someone else after you. Sun goes up, sun goes down, day after day, Sometimes it's futile, it doesn't mean anything. There are, in the words of Genesis 3, thorns and thistles. And so is there any hope for work? Are we bound to this meaningless, meaningless existence? Is there gain to our work? Can there be satisfaction in our work? And so this is why Jesus is good news for us today, not only personally, I want to see that as well, personally, but in our work as well. The gospel has implications for our work. So we've had creation, creation, fall, and now redemption. Jesus. Jesus worked. Jesus worked. First of all, he worked for most of his earthly life as a tradie. Did you know that? He only began his public ministry at 30. Um, I don't know when, what time... What, when he started work as a tradie, as in stone or timber, um, he built stuff, but it was for a long time, a couple of decades maybe. And this shows that there's a nobility and a dignity to good, honest, hard work, whatever form it takes. But most significantly, Jesus came to do the work of redemption, the work of redemption. He came to redeem us, to save us from our sin, to restore this world. And this has implications for our work. You see, the problems with work isn't work in and of itself. No, God designed work as good. The problem is sin, which, in, which infects and damages our work. Disorder to our work. The solution is redemption. We can't redeem the world. Jesus redeems the world. Jesus came to do his Father's work. John says in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says in that verse, My food is to do the will of him, who sent me to accomplish his work. Jesus accomplished his father's work, what he came to do, his task. According to Galatians, Jesus bore the curse of sin on the tree in his death. And on the cross, as he, died, as he was dying, he uttered the words, it is finished, job done. He finished the work. In his resurrection, Jesus was raised flesh and blood was, and raised us with him. Not to take us out of the world, God's good world, but to fix that which was broken, to redeem that which was fallen. Now, I always think that Christmas carols have the best theology, most of the time. And one of my favourite carols, Joy to the World, says this. It has a fantastic line. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. See the curse? He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Jesus' redemption, his work in his death and resurrection, restores, restores sinful people unable to work for our own salvation. He sets us free from guilt, from the guilt and condemnation of our sin. And we need to believe in him for that. But Jesus' redemptive work also goes as far as the curse is found. How far does the curse go? To every part of creation, 
from one end to another, even into the workplace, into the home, into the daily tasks that we do. As sin and the curse affects all parts of God's good world, Christ's redemption extends that far. In the words of Colossians 1, God, through Jesus, determined to reconcile to himself all things, not just some things, all things. That's the scope of redemption. And one day Jesus will return to finish this work. All creation, God's good world, will be freed and all suffering will be ended and death will be no more and there'll be absolute peace and justice in this world. And so in Jesus, we're restored to our original calling as human beings. We don't do it perfectly now. There is still more to come. But now, in Christ by the Spirit, we can serve and image God in the Lord Jesus. Restoration is real, if not yet complete. Jesus renews the way we look at our work. He changes how we see our work. We can go about um, our work, our day-to-day tasks, treating people with dignity um, as fellow image bearers. God gives us the goal, the end of our work, the purpose for our work, as we saw last week. All things for God and his glory and thankfulness, in joy for the gifts that God gives. God gives us the standard for our work, the moral standard, his law, moral instruction. And that's really helpful, isn't it? It can shape how we think about our work. He tells us right and wrong. His law and commands teaches us these things. And God creates in us godliness. The, work, the Spirit works in us to change us so that bit by bit we embody the character of Christ in our work. God also gives us wisdom. And this is a wonderful thing. Not, we get wisdom from God, not only to know what is right and wrong, but wisdom to decide and act and plan and do things in the best possible way. He gives us skills and abilities and gifts and wisdom helps us to learn how God's world works, how it works best by practice and experience and learning. That's wisdom. And here's the thing in Christ, we're now to go about our work as Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Our daily work, this thing we do um, all week, becomes the arena through which we discover ways to serve and please God, doing it all in the Lord Jesus for his glory. And so I want to leave us with a couple of reflections on that um, rather brief overview of um, work from the Bible. Two reflections on what it means to be satisfied in our work. Um, Dan Doriani, who has this fantastic book on work, let me know if you want to read it, um, says that he's interviewed hundreds of people about their work. And he asks them this, this question to start the interview. He says, do you enjoy your job? Why or why not? And Dorian is amazed at the people who begin their answer with two words. Two words. I just. I just. I just teach grade four kids. I just drive a truck. I just make coffees. 
maybe this is yourself. You, oh, I've done this. I just. And I think that reveals sometimes we're dissatisfied in our work. We don't see the value in it. Our ordinary work and daily tasks can to seem to us very ordinary. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned Steve Jobs, and he said to the graduates of that university, we need to find what we love and never stop until we find something we're passionate about. Now, his advice is the culture in which we live. We can think about our work as just finding something we're passionate about. This view drives people to go searching for that perfect job. Now, I remember conversations with a friend I'd meet up with uh, who, was co- who worked in finance um, and he was constantly thinking about changing his job. He was constantly dissatisfied with what he was doing. He was talking about it every time we met. He was struggling to find his passion. This feeling you've got to do what you love ended up deflating him and crushing him. Now, it's not wrong to change jobs, of course. It's not wrong to figure out the way God has gifted us, um, particularly abilities he's given us. It's good to steward those well and use them well. It's not wrong also to work in a job just for the money sometimes. You've got to put food on the table, right? And it's not wrong to put your gifts to the best possible use either, taking into account the season of life you're in. Be faithful with your gifts. But I want to ask us, from the biblical perspective that we're seeing today, is this the, the number one thing? Is passion the number one thing that, um, that drives our search for a work? Is it really about doing what you love? Is it? I would suggest that from what we've seen today, a Christian view of work has as its core the glory of God, right? And serving our neighbour. This is the vision the Bible gives us for work. When we see our work in this way, serving God and our neighbour through it, we often, this will often lead as a side benefit, satisfaction and enjoyment. As a consequence, you'll find that you're fulfilled in what you do when you learn and grow in the skills of that particular role, the more proficient you become, this is my experience anyway, the more proficient you become at something, the more you enjoy it. Satisfaction in our work comes when we recognise that our work is a gift from God. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24 says, There's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? And that's right. As Christians in Jesus, we can enjoy our work and be satisfied in it. Because we get to see what it is. It's a gift from God. And we can be satisfied and value it. Because it's a gift. So application two, we can be satisfied in our work because we know that God works through our work. This is what we see as Christians. God works through our work. Martin Luther, a pastor from many centuries ago, captured this idea. Martin Luther says, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbour does. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbour does. God cares for and looks after the world by using our day-by-day tasks, our work. Now, as Christians, we can see that God uses us to do this. We become, as it were, the hands of God in this world. 
God saves us in Jesus and then God sends us out to live our lives as Christians to serve our neighbour. God doesn't need our good works, Luther says, but our neighbour does. So think how this happens. You know, some of us here, we teach the kids um, Bible in the gospel training. This is a form of loving your neighbour. This is your work because the kids need to know Jesus and God uses that. Some of you wash the dishes at home. Washing the dishes is a way of loving your neighbour because you're returning some order to the chaos in your house. Giving a presentation to prospective clients in a meeting is a form of loving your neighbour because you are selling them a product which will help them do their job better. If you think about it, there are jobs which exist to develop the world or improve on or, or problem solve Some jobs also mitigate against the effects of sin. There are some jobs that major on that. So, for example, there was a sewage spill here in Hadsman a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, and in a perfect world, this wouldn't happen right. But if a Christian was working as a water tester, the Christian could do this work to make sure the river is safe so that people don't swim in it and get sick. That's loving your neighbour. It's a motivation, there's a heart to it, there's a motivation of love, a love for God, for the people who use this water, um, and for the river itself as part of God's creation. You see, Jesus makes a huge difference to the way we, we work, how we see it as Christians. He gives us a new vision. So whatever our daily work is, we get to see it with God's perspective. We get to be the hands of God, caring for people. We get to see that work is God's gift for us and we get to play our part in developing the world. In Jesus, we get to live God's way, promote worthy causes, help out in an area of need, create things to make life better. We get to do it with a moral framework of God's word and with a godly character that God is working in us. Jesus makes a world of difference to our work and this is why we can be satisfied in it. Amen.